Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. It's your girl, Dalis Jasmine, and welcome to Hello Latino. This episode, y'all, is full of beautiful stories about identity, self-discovery, and lots and lots of Central American love. Today's guest is Jasmine Fuego. She's the daughter of a Nicaraguan immigrant and a Black American and was born in California and raised in the Deep South. She's an Afro-Latinx musician, event producer, and cultural curator, and works at the intersection of art, culture, and education to amplify the voices of Black, Indigenous, and other underrepresented communities. She's currently a senior program manager at Skillshare, an online learning community for 5 million plus creatives, and a producer for the Black Joy Parade, which happens in Oakland every February. I know y'all will love and vibe con esta reina que disfruten. Have the best name is that your last name no it is a, a given name from my grandma which i totally go into um <laughs> but, you go into that because i i do remember seeing some videos of you and your grandma yeah so my name is jasmine debra chanel ella saavedra and the last name fuego which is what i publicly go by was given to me my by my abuela elizabeth Valle saavedra and Originally, when she gave it to me, it, it it wasn't actually said in earnest. It was, no, Jasmine, tiene demasiado fuego. Jasmine, eh, eh, estás más, eh, you're so caliente, like you're so hot all the time. And and the way that she was using that was like, you know, as a kid, I was very outspoken. I was, I was always asking questions. I was always... Um, I was deemed as argumentative, but I just genuinely and, and still do always want to understand and not right. I have no interest or need to be right about things. I truly, deeply just love the human race and just want to understand how people get to their ideas and their thoughts and their beliefs. And anyway, as, as, as a young kid, my grandmother was very... Um, She's very conservative, very traditional um, Nikoya woman, and just didn't like that I did that. So she always told me that I had too much fuego, I had too much fire, and that I needed to be more cool, more calm, because no man wanted a woman like that. Hi, Dios mío. <laughs> she was so hot <laughs> and she had so much fuego. Um, but in any case, I I took that to heart as a kid, and, and it it was a thing that kind of held me back a lot, just like feeling really insecure about how curious I was and, and about me constantly wanting to question power, wanting to question people who had authority over me or authority over the spaces that I was in. And um, in my early 20s, as I was on my kind of um, spirit journey back to Centro America, trying to learn about the culture that my family forgot about or chose to leave behind, I decided to take that name back and to own it, to own that fuego. And in many ways, it feels more like my name than my apayu. Um, I feel so much wow. more called to that name. Yeah, I feel like I didn't even question it until right now. I'm like, wait, is that really your last name? Because it just fits. I, I mean, I've I've met you online and I've met you like on FaceTime, but I'm like, it's just so perfect for you from what I know. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And I know I jumped, I, I put you on the spot a little bit because usually we start these episodes with a question of how do you identify and why? So we can jump into that right now. So how do you identify and why? 
I identify so strongly and proudly as an Afro-Latina, Afro-Latinx woman. That phrase, it feels somewhat new um, to my life. And I think maybe even kind of new to to a lot of people, at least in the United States, depending on you know where your country of origin is or your people are from. Um, but growing up, I, I always identified as mixed. Um, my mom is Black American. My dad is um, Nicaraguan, mestizo Nicaraguense. And um, he, I, I just never felt like I fit in to either of those spaces. Um, my dad's family, they're, yeah, they're totally Nicoya. Um, and in this context of the United States, I think that they, I don't know how, but I think that they identify so deeply with white culture, with American culture. And so I, as the darkest person in the room when I was with my dad's family, always felt so out of place there. But then back in North Carolina, I guess some context is I was born in Long Beach, California. Um, and then when I was eight, moved to North Carolina with my mom. Oh, okay. But, and I would say- Your dad stay in Long Beach? My dad actually moved to Orange County. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, got it. <laughs> To what that that's going to build on the story for sure. It adds a little more context. My dad moved yeah. to Orange County after that, and most of my family is in Orange County. Uh, most of my Latino family is in Orange County, and I would spend my summers in OC with my dad and his and my abuela and, and my aunts and uncles and cousins. And then I would spend the rest of the school year with my mom um, and with my family, who are all Black American, in the South, in the American South, in in North Carolina. And so in both of those places, I always felt so out of place, you know, with outside of my immediate family, I didn't go to a school that had a lot of black people. So I didn't. And, and when I was around black people who weren't in my immediate family, I felt also super out of place, felt like I wasn't black enough. I wasn't Latina enough. I wasn't white enough. And in my life, um, of trying to reconnect with my roots, which I think is something that is not unique to someone who has, who is Black American, just like this desire to just know more about where you come from. It's it's such a privilege. It's such a privilege to be able to trace your lineage back to a place, to, to find those languages, to know those stories, to learn those songs. And it's something that so many Black Americans aren't it's a privilege that so many of us aren't afforded to. And so naturally I, I leaned into my Nicaraguan heritage because I at least knew that and beyond a little bit of Spanish and a, and a few food dishes, my family, um, my Nicaraguan family here in the U S they, they just don't identify with Latin culture. They don't, they left, um, Nicaragua during the eighties, um, during the Samoa overthrow, um, and they were a part of that. They were a part of of the ruling class that was being shut out. And so when they came to the U.S., they were just like, we're American. We want democracy. We love the army. <laughs> you know, that was their story. So I didn't get a lot of um, exposure to, to Latinidad. And so when I went on my first uh, kind of spiritual quest to learn about the the one piece of ancestry that I could trace back, my Nicaraguan roots, I went um, to Nicaragua for the first time. And, and, and I feel so ignorant now saying this, but I had no idea that there were so many Black Latin people. And they were identifying themselves as Afro-Latino, Afro-Latina. And I was like, wow, okay, now... Now I, I I feel like I can and I can fully claim something because I get to fully claim my roots as a black person and my identity as a black person, but I fully get to claim my Latinidad. And even though it wasn't something I was brought up with, it's still a part of me. It's a part of my 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 calling in the world, my sentiments in the world, the things I appreciate, the music I love, the food that I love. And so I identify as Afro-Latina. Um, and more recently, Afro-Latinx to make sure that I'm being inclusive of all of my um, my Latin siblings because it allows me to to fully, fully engage the wholeness of 
of all of the identities that I carry. Yeah. Oh, such a beautiful story. I'm really curious though. We're going to jump into a little bit of your, your story here, but I'm curious about growing up mixed and having these two different sides. You touched on it and said you didn't feel like you fit in either box. And how, how did you navigate that growing up in, in through your upbringing, you know, before you went on this, this journey of figuring out your roots and tracing back your, um, your, what do you say, Nicoya? I always say, is that, is that wrong? What do you always say? Nicaragüense, but is that wrong? It's not, it's not wrong at all. Okay. Just making sure. Because you said Nicoya. So I was like, oh. (laughs) Nicoya is what, is like what Nicaraguans will call themselves. Ah, okay. We'll call us of Chapinos or Boricuas instead of Puerto Ricanos. Oh, yeah. It's uh-huh. okay. Very, it's regional slang for like we're Nicaraguan. Got it. Well, I mean, if people don't know, Honduras and Nicaragua are close by, and I did not know that about Nicaragua. So same thing with Honduras. We we call each other catrachos, and that's like our that's like our term. So I get it. <laughs> <laughs> love it. <laughs> yeah, Central American love right here. Um, but no, I'm very curious about growing up mixed and yeah, having these two different identities, especially being, you know, Latina, but not having those, not having that, that Latinidad really in your face all the time, right? But also being Black American and that experience for you. I'm just really curious, especially with two different, uh, two different areas, North Carolina and and SoCal. So again, let's let's jump into your story. I want to hear more about about you kind of in these two worlds. Girl, I mean, you just you you hit the nail on the head there. Like there's there was so like everything felt like a contradiction in my like it it felt like my very existence up until semi-recently has felt like a living, breathing contradiction. You know, being in the South, but then also kind of being in California and being Black, but also being kind of Latin, but the Latin people, they kind of are white. And just there's there was so much of that. And so the way that I navigated that was, and I think it's a survival mechanism that a lot of people refer to um, or fall back on is I, I had to learn how to code switch. I had to learn how to people please. I had to learn how to make other people comfortable because my very presence, it it felt like I just me existing made so many people uncomfortable. And it was hard. It was, I mean, my truth is that it was really, really challenging for me. And, you know, the the only person throughout my youth that I feel like fully saw me in my wholeness for, for my soul, for my spirit, was my mother's mother, my my recently late abuela, um, my grandma Debbie, um, who is just the the was the shining light of my life and who just always was like, Jasmine, who cares? You get to just be who you are. And what a blessing. Um, but as a kid, it didn't, it didn't feel like a blessing. Um, and even in spaces when, when I would find myself in black spaces, identifying as mixed also felt there were moments where I got opposition for that of like, what, you don't want to identify as black. I was like, I want to, but every time I do, people tell me I'm not black. And just, there was so, Mm. there was so much of that. And there was, and when I was in the, in North Carolina, the, we don't, we have a lot of um, uh, Mexicanos and a lot of South Americans. Oddly, it's something that people may, might oh, not wow. know. is is very is very diverse in terms of immigrants and folks from other countries. Um, and we have a lot of Colombianos, a lot of a lot of Brasileños, um, a lot a lot of folks from Venezuela, and just no Nicaraguans. <laughs> so yeah. I was, well, yeah. I'm Latin, but I'm I'm Nicaraguan, and it's like excuse me, what? No, you can't sit with us. And just, Girl. <laughs> you know, and so yeah. there was just a lot of code switching. And I, I learned how to learn other people's language. And and not, and I don't mean like the, their their mother tongue, but I mean their body language. I, I learned, I got obsessed with learning people's 
like colloquial terms and their slang and the the cultural things that were important to them because I knew that that was my path to acceptance. And, you know, growing up, it was, it, yeah, it was just challenging. Um, I got really good at that. And as, as I'm, you know, maturing into my adulthood, I'm <laughs> 30 in a, in a few months, um, wrapping up. Aging like wine. You look fabulous. I, <laughs> I, yeah, I can, yeah. Shout out to my ancestors for that one. Um, for sure. <laughs> I, I'm realizing that that, that time period of my life that was, was so challenging when I was living, it has become my superpower. I, I feel like of, I, you know, I have some hard skills that don't feel important to share now and, um, you know, professional accolades, whatever. But I think that my deepest skill, my best gift that I have to offer to the world is like my ability to empathize and to connect with anyone. And it came from such a challenging place. It, it came from a place of literally survival, feeling like I needed to do that in order to not be exiled uh, socially and culturally from spaces. But now it's it's a lot, it's afforded me the ability to move pretty seamlessly in and out of different um, different spaces and, and truly build and foster real relationship. And I'm grateful for that now. But growing up, oh, being mixed was not cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, one thing that I was I was thinking about when you said, you know, being Nicaraguense, being the Nicaragua in these spaces where it's not really like they don't know. Right. Like they don't, they're like, what, <laughs> where are you from? Um, that happens a lot. I think with Central Americans that happened a lot with me and it, it, Central America is so tiny. Right. And, and, and when you look at Latino America, it's like South America is the biggest thing. And people used to say like, Oh, Honduras is in South America. Right. I'm like, well, no, it's in Central America. And they're like, where, where is that? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, let me tell you. Um, I, mean, I had like a whole history lesson and again, I don't blame them. Right. But right. also it is, it's interesting to be in this, to be Latina, Latina, Latinx, but to also be kind of like one of the smaller countries in Latino America where you have to like explain like, well, there's not very many of us in the world, but we're beautiful. Our culture is beautiful. And, and it's like, you kind of have to represent the country in some ways, or for, in my opinion, and kind of what I'm hearing from your story, you kind of learn to, um, assimilate, to blend in a little bit, you know? And that was definitely what I did. I, I didn't know anything about Honduras except for what I knew at home, but I was like, I'm not about to bring yuca and platano and baleadas over to school. <laughs> so I would, you know, like, again, I try to assimilate to the cultures that were around me. And that was Mexican culture. So for me, I grew up really confused. I'm like, am I Mexican? You know, like I speak Spanish and like, they kind of look like me. And, and it was kind of this different identity crisis. So I am like trying to acknowledge your story by, by saying like, I can't imagine having all of these different identities in one and feeling that every single day. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting uh, because I think so many, um, and, and, and I, when I say the word ignorance, I, I don't mean, um, I don't actually mean that in the negative context. Um, I mean the, I mean the Webster's dictionary <laughs> definition of ignorance is just so many people just don't know One I, I am proudly uh, someone who, who grew up in the United States and as, and having traveled the world, I understand what a huge privilege it is, um, or at least was b before our passports like got banned from everywhere. <laughs> um, but there's so much ignorance um, around it, like people around anyone else. And so, you know, for most Americans, and I would even say, uh, you know, uh, Latin Americans, Latin people in the U.S. who have been here for many, many generations, they're like, oh, you're Hispanic? Okay, Mexican. And it's like, okay, there's like so many countries. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> you know, just like it's, it's crazy. And and I, I think that that type of thing is something that's definitely not um, unique just to people who are black in another race or, you know, who, who identify as mixed. I think it's such a, such an immigrant story, such a, I mean, I don't know, to be honest, it kind of feels like so American to me. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It really does. And I remember, yeah, because when you travel the world, they're not just assuming <laughs> you're, you're Mexican or you're one thing. And I would also add to that and say, I guess it depends where you grew up too, because I grew up in California, like California through and through. And everywhere I went, that was the first thing people assumed of me. You're Mexican. And when I went to, funny story, when I went to New York, someone asked me if I was Puerto Rican. And I was I'm like, <laughs> that was the first time anyone's ever said anything else. And I was like, really? <laughs> I was so proud in that moment. <laughs> but other than that, people, it was like, it was weird. It was weird, Jasmine. I would, I love saying Jasmine because it's like my name too. <laughs> I'm just like, Jasmine. But it's, it's so interesting because in college, my freshman year, it's kind of weird to think about it, but people, it would be like a game. Like, guess what Jasmine is? Like, no one knew. Girl, tell me why people had such a messed up game. Yes, I got a similar thing. When we were in high school, uh, I think in college, people kind of learned, like, it's not cool to, at least at my school, people kind of learned, it's not really cool to do that. Um, but, but yes, like, just what is she? What are you? Which is so because yes. when I look it's at weird, myself, I just I see it. I, I maybe I wouldn't like go directly like Nicaragua, but to me, I'm like, oh, I I clearly am black to me. <laughs> like, and I think right. to, yeah, I would assume to most people, I'm clearly I have some, if not all, like you know, I, clearly I'm black, and and it, I definitely feel like, especially depending on how I wear my hair, which is such a beautiful thing about black culture that I do love is we can really just switch it up in a day with this hair. Um, but depending <laughs> on how I wear my hair, I think I also clearly look like there's some Latin or Caribbean something. Um, but you know, it's just, but it's, when we have these conversations to me, it's just like, it makes this com these conversations around race and, and certain identities feel so empty if it's just if you're only using it to put someone in a box if you're using it to claim your story to build a more holistic view of who you are and and the sentiments you have and the way you show up in the world and like how those identities affect your your um belief systems that's one thing but when we're using it to put someone in a box it's like what does it actually mean to be latin you know there's latin america is huge well, it is huge. And these countries and these cultures, they are so vastly unique and beautiful and brilliant. And there are some overlaps for sure, but more they're more different than not in a lot once you really get into the thick of it. And so I when I start to talk to people about identity, I'm just like, well, what's what's your why? Like, why do you want to know that? You know, what are you what are you trying to figure out about me? like ask the actual question that you, if you're trying to ask who I am or quote unquote what I am, which I think is just such a rude way to like state that. <laughs> First of all. But you know what I am, um, you know, what are you actually trying to, to know? Are you trying to like figure out some general, some general um, thing to, to put me in a box? Or are you trying to actually learn about what I think and, and what I believe yeah. and, and, and why I am the way I am. Then yeah. if you want to know that, then ask that. Let's talk. Yeah. And that's your curious mind right there. <laughs> You're like, let's <laughs> talk about this. But I always say identity is, it's, it's a makeup of a lot of things, right? It's a makeup of your roots, of your lived experience, of these different facets of your life that Again, like I've I've had an episode with my brothers and I'm I'm telling you, none of us identified the same. <laughs> and I I'm like 20 episodes in and I'm and this is like the most real thing. 
no one in each episode has ever identified the same. Mm. And that's the beauty of, I think, being able to ask that question so freely, like, how do you identify? And then understanding where that identity came from. Because it's true, it's a mix of our roots, it's a mix of our lived experience, it's a mix of what we can create for ourselves. And I think that's the beauty of identity. But yeah, I get it. There's some people who they they want to categorize you, right? And that goes back to the game that people used to talk, you know, I experienced it where they were like, oh, she looks Egyptian or Middle Eastern or she looks, oh no, she looks more like, um, you know, Mexican or I'm like... And I'm like, (laughs) you could just ask me, (laughs) you could just learn a little bit of history. You would understand that Latin Hispanic, it's not a race. It actually consists of many, many influences that, yeah, could probably further down the line be traced back to parts of the Northern Africa and the Middle East and, uh, and definitely African roots and definitely European roots by way of Spain and Portugal and those places. And so much, um, indigenous influence from the people who had their land stolen and colonized in Latin America. I mean, we are everything. And I, I think that's why this question, the way that you word it, how do you identify is so beautiful because it leaves space for, for story. I think that story is so, so important right now. When I think about the the place, the unique moment in history that we're in, in this country, but I think more broadly the world, I think about, now let me talk about this country. One thing that um, this current administration and these people who are are currently in, in power, one thing that they're so brilliant at is crafting narrative. And it doesn't fully surprise me because um, the leader of their pack is literally a, a TV celebrity. You know, so that he understands the power of story and being able to craft narrative. And I think that that's actually a brilliant strategy is like making sure you are controlling what people are talking about and the story that they're hearing and believing in and integrating. And when what I love about this question, how do you identify is because it's so open, like it it forces you to share a bit of story. And I think that we need to get better at sharing story as well as as witnessing and listening deeply to people's stories because we start to understand like just how vast um how vast we are as a human race and as a country and i think that it allows the opportunity to both see lots of similarities in experience but also be able to identify like oh yeah here's a unique difference and it's cool that I haven't had that experience, but like, let me, I, I can just witness it as, as your truth, as a part of your story, um, because it doesn't have to reflect me at all. You know, this is your identity and, and your experience. And it's something that I, I want to see more of in this world is, is the sharing of story. It's why I'm so grateful to all of the poets and the musicians and the photographers and all the creators who are, I think of them as the cultural archivers um, of this time for being able to to tell story in ways that I think uh, supersede language. Yeah. And that's, you know, you reminded me of something I love about being Hondureña, about being Latina, is that I grew up like that. I grew up with my family sitting around chismeando, you know, talking about all these different, about life, you know, they would just talk for days con su cafecito. And that's why I'm so inspired by doing the cafecito and chisme, you know, because it's, that's how I grew up. And even though, you know, I can understand the extent of these conversations as a child, I grew up in these conversations and I started to learn more about my family, about, you know, where they came from, their relationships, lo que sea, whatever they talked about in those conversations, I learned about who we are. And that's that's something that I think we've strayed so much away from. And I don't see it happen as much, you know, like even seeing my nephews, they're on their phones half the time. And I'm like, they're missing out on these conversations. And it's okay, you know, they're they're growing up in a different world. <laughs> but I want to bring that back because you're right. I mean, there's 
there's power in storytelling. There's power in in these timeless stories, you know, that can be passed down through generations. And this is why I want to do this podcast, right? This goes back to my my intention. It's really capturing these stories, amplifying them, but also having them be timeless so that anyone can listen to them whenever they want. And I think that's the beauty that we get to redefine what it means to be Latino, Latina, Latinx. We get to redefine Latinidad because I think for a long time we have been put in a box and we've been shown these different narratives, talking about narratives. We've shown these different narratives in the media of what Latinidad looks like and it's not inclusive. It's not, it doesn't capture the the complexities of Latinidad. <laughs> I'm like, don't get me started on JLo's little little halftime show. And I was like, girl, I I know your heart was in the right place, but damn. Wait, let's talk about it. Let's let's, 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 about let's it. spill the cheese may here. <laughs> here you go, cheese maze. I'm like, no, I'm not gonna okay, I'm gonna do it. All right. So welcome to Cafecito and Cheese May, everybody. Um, so <laughs> if we can even remember a time before coronavirus and, um, and, and the, the social uprising that we're in right now, take it back to, I believe the, the first it's the Super Bowl is always first Sunday in February, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So let's take it back to the beginning of February, the calm before the storm. So we had, um, beautiful halftime performance by um, our 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 queens um, Shakira and and Jennifer Lopez, and let I mean from the performance standpoint, absolutely stunning. I mean these women are just insane. It's insane what they can do with their bodies, um, and and I felt that you know I really felt it in their heart, their spirit, their soul. They're like we are lifting up Latinidad. You're gonna lift up Latinidad, and they had J Balvin there, and they had, I believe, my um, my 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 baby papi uh, <laughs> was there. Yes, mami, que te quiere. Exactly. Um, loved loved it. The performance was so great, but then there was a moment where um, Jennifer Lopez opens her opens this cape, and on the inside of it was an American flag on the back, but then she turns around and it's the Puerto Rican flag. And it's so epic and it's powerful. It's like, yes. But then there's all these little girls around her. She's got her daughter and her daughter's friends and um, young, young women, really, really young women around her. And, And I listened to a podcast interview that she did with Oprah shortly after. And she said, well, you know, I just wanted to lift up Latinidad. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, well, then, girl, could you have gotten, like, a, like other-looking <laughs> Latin girl? You know, there's nothing wrong that, because Latin dad is, is more than just, like, white-passing people. And they're, they're a part of it. Mm-hmm. They, are, they, are, they are in. You know, they are in. But that that's yeah. image that we already have and that we already see and that you yourself in many ways represent or at least have the ability to to represent. And so if your your goal was to really lift up all of Latinidad, then I want to see some indigenous people looking people. I want to see some people who are who have like Afro in them. I want to see mm-hmm. that's, and and it's not like they don't exist. It's like, come on girl, like just go you're There's from New York. You're from New York, <laughs> sis. Like you got a, we're all them Dominicans and Puerto Ricans and Colombians. You couldn't have found any other looking people, but it's like, you know, people don't go that extra step. I mean, we, there are ways Mm -hmm. that we we do this to ourselves, you know? And, and that, that goes back to your point of playing into that narrative, right. And not being inclusive. And it's, it's so complex. And this is what, I think the problem has been for so long is Latinidad is just such a complex identity, like in itself. And you touched on it. It's like, look at look at our roots, the oppressors, the people who have entered the land and people who are already on the land and like all of those like indigenous, even the Jewish diaspora, yes. you know, like it, there's so much, there's so many complexities and and people and it starts with us knowing like I didn't know about these things. I didn't, I and my family no, didn't teach me. 
idea. <laughs> and I, I only found out, I mean, I really went the last, I would say that my twenties was spent trying to understand and learn more of that story for myself because on both sides of my family, and I think it might even be a generational thing as well as some part cultural. Yeah. I, I would say that this is where like the, like Nicaraguenses and, you know, black Southerners where there's a lot of overlap in culture is like, they, they keep a lot yeah. of secrets, lots of secrets, especially Girl. in the generation of my grandma, um, of my grandparents and before. And so I, I wanted, I was so, I felt it because there were, there were so many, I felt it in my spirit that there are so many things about me and who I am that aren't unique, but they don't reflect like my immediate family. And I needed to learn these stories. And so I spent so much of my twenties going to Nicaragua. I lived in Guatemala for, for three years. I lived in Costa Rica for one year. I traveled back to Spain. I traveled back to the place in Spain where I I know my people to have come from before they came to Centro America. I learned that they came to Centro America because they were Jewish and <laughs> needed to leave. And it made so many traditions from my grandma actually make sense where I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like you're a hardcore Christian, but then you're doing certain things that I've never seen any other Christian people do. And I live in the South where people are like really Christian. And then <laughs> And it just, it made so much sense. Things started to make sense to me. And that's, I, I love that you're doing this podcast with the intention of trying to to archive stories and narrative and and giving people a chance to, to really have their story solidified somewhere where you can always go back to and refer to is I've had to really do that for myself. And, you know, so I've spent, I, I'm so happy to actually be approaching 30 because to me, my 20s was so much about just trying to find who I am and not so much for like, oh, who, who am I in the world and what am I going to do with my life? But like, no, who am I? Who are these people? Who are the names that I've forgotten? What were they like? And, and, and the more and more that I dug and learned, the more I made sense to myself, the more I understood it like, oh, that's why I like to dance like that. You know, I was learning salsa in, in Cuba and the, the teacher was like, no, you're, you're doing this too fast. You're doing this movement with your hips. It's, it's too fast. You need to slow it down. And then the, the following year I went to Nicaragua and I was on the Isla de Maíz and Corn Islands, um, which is a um, teeny tiny small island off the coast of Nicaragua um, where the Garifuna people who are... Shout out. They gave us punta. Yes, that's right. That's right. Shout out to the Garifuna people. Um, the uh, you know, the descendants of enslaved African people who were in Nicaragua, who kind of were left left to high and dry after slavery was abolished, and they just kind of got to do their which is I, I guess kind of beautiful in some ways, they got to do their own thing and keep their culture alive. And I saw that they were it was one night I was out and I saw that they were doing this dance. And listening to this music, and it's called Palo de Mayo. I'd never heard of this, but I was looking at the way that they were moving their hips, and I was like, "That's what I do. <laughs> I do that. That's the rhythm that I hear in my head all the time." And so, you know, as we're we're discovering like what Latinidad means for us, or just discovering more about ourselves and our histories, it's it's not just about learning about the past. It's about learning about yourself in this present, so that we can. We can the ones to come, those of us who choose to have families and and to 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 have kids and stuff that we can pass that knowledge on to them so that they know who they are, and then they can make choices based on that like historical knowledge about who they want to continue to be. Oh, man, snaps to you, girl. And I love that you brought up Garifuna because there's a big Garifuna influence in Honduras as well, mm -hmm. and. They gave us everything. <laughs> That's how I feel. And my parents always say that. They're like, they gave us punta. Yes. Yes. And that's what we dance. Like if you go to a Honduran party, if you come to one of my family parties, you're you're going to listen to punta. Like it, it is what it is. Like, <laughs> and the beautiful thing that I always, I always brag about 
where my family's from because son de la costa. They're from the coast. And so they're they're close to to El Caribe. And so there's a lot of influence in our and what we eat and what we dance and the music we listen to culturally. You know, my parents always say it's a beautiful thing that we're from the coast because we have we have this like beautiful energy about us that we're always happy. You know, like we're always just going to like enjoy life. And that's and that's something that I always try to tap into and remember. I'm like, you know, we get caught up in this first gen world where we're like trying to do the most (laughs) hella ambitious and and, you know, going through the motions, like just living and trying to like hustle, hustle and grind, hustle and grind survival mode. And I try to tap back into, you know, those values that my family holds so dearly to them. And it's you have to have time for yourself. You have to have time to have fun. Yes. And even though they, they've they strayed so much away from that, because when they came to this country, yeah, it was all about the grind and the hustle and to survive and to provide and all of that. T- talk about your experience going to Central America. That's that's one thing on my bucket list that I'm like, you're inspiring me to do post-COVID, <laughs> of course. Yes. But talk sure. about that trip and, and talk about Nicaragua and talk about those roots and anything that you can kind of teach us and, and expose us to. Well, what I learned on the first day there is that I, I grew up thinking that the Spanglish that I was speaking and, you know, the fact that I could understand my grandma who would often mostly speak in Spanish. I was like, oh, I speak Spanish. And, you know, taking a little bit of Spanish, (laughs) doing really well at it. You know, what I learned was like, girl, you do not speak Spanish. (laughs) You know, I had to, I had to learn real, real quick and, and still on that journey, but can, I mean, I feel like mostly fluent in my understanding and speaking. Um, so that was the first thing that I learned when I went there is like, girl, what you speaking? up in North Carolina high school is not, <laughs> it's not going to get you through these streets. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I learned so much about the history of Nicaragua. I, I learned, you know, it, it was really interesting learning about um, the time, what was happening in that time period when my family uh, decided to come here was, you know, they, the, the Samosa regime was being overthrown by the people. And, you know, one thing that I will say definitely unites all Latin American countries is like um, United States interference <laughs> in our business. Um, and 100%. United, United States funded violence and degradation of our culture and our land. I would say that if there's any one thing that might actually be the thing. <laughs> um, unfortunately, learned, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, yes. So I learned, I learned so much about that. And it, and I learned, you know, that my family was, was on the side of history that I think if I were there that I wouldn't have been on. Um, they, they, they were on the side of the Guardia. They were on the side of the of that regime and that that far right power, um, and as they were coming out of power, the the violence that they inflicted on the Nicaraguan people, I didn't know. And of course, you know, in um, when we're learning in history, even world history, like no one has ever mentioned Nicaragua ever, <laughs> at least not in mm. North Carolina AP world history. You know, we might we might go over you know Mexican independence. Shout out, um, shout out to them. Um, but that's that's it. So I learned so much about yeah. that about that history, and to me, thought about just energetic reparation it was like, wow. So my family was able to come here because they they sided with the oppressor and were and were given passes, given passports. <laughs> if they joined the U.S. Army, they were allowed to come, and so. You know, it put more context to me when I hear my family saying, well, you know, people just they can come, but they need to come the right way. And it's like, I'm sorry, what? How you came? <laughs> is, that available now? is that program available now? First of all, yeah. And two, I don't not just anyway. So that that first trip was really just eye opening and realizing how it made me understand just like how many secrets that my family kept um, and made, you know, they my family grew up saying, you know, Nicaragua is this poor country and everything's dirty and you know you're gonna get robbed and raped and you know all the things if you go there and I went there by myself girl speaking like the minimal of Spanish and I was embraced so warmly and and 
and people were so patient and so giving with me. Even there were, there were people who didn't have very much, but they were so generous. And so I learned about, you know, the, the generosity of Nicoya people and, and like all of the amazing food and the gallo pinto and the, all of it that I, <laughs> that I ate, um, you know, the, these things that I liked that I didn't know exactly where it came from. Um, it started to make sense to me. Um, one of the things about that trip that was so special is, is just realizing that, um, yeah, that generosity, <laughs> it, it feels so, um, so natural to people in that part of the world. Um, I spent a lot of time in Guatemala. I spent a lot of time in Nicaragua and in Costa Rica and everywhere I went, people were so generous and people who were in that context, maybe considered the poorest of people. Yeah. We're so rich in culture and so rich in story and so, so down to share. Um, and in a way that my family isn't, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, no wonder you don't care for Nicaragua and why you think that I shouldn't go back and why you love um, being in this country so much and, and being a part of this like far right movement that you're so inspired by. Like, oh, okay, that makes sense to me because yeah, that's not what was happening there then. And it's not what's happening there now. Um, yeah. Yeah. That trip was really special. Oh, it's so beautiful. I I mean, that's something on my bucket list because I think every country, again, is so different, right? South America, even like if you go, if you break it down, like South America is very different from Central America and Central America from the Caribbean. And there's also, again, beautiful similarities in these different places as well. And one thing, so I went to Guatemala too. So I got happy when you said you, you lived there. <laughs> it's like one of those places where I'm like, I could live here. Like I could really live well, here. Well, I went but, at 22 and bought a whole property there. No, you did not. Really? Well, yes, I did. Girl, talk. Where? In, in Lago Atitlan in San Marcos. Girl, how? Talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I guess that wasn't. You're first. like 22. <laughs> I was 22. I was in, I fell in love with a man that I met in Mexico. We knew each other for like three weeks. We uh, started working at this cafe and the man who owned the cafe, who was not Central American, he was a French man. Um, he was leaving. He's like, you know, I like you too a lot. I don't know what to do with this property. Um, I bought it for nothing. I just, I just want the money so that I can leave. Like I'll sell it to you for five grand. And between the two of us, we were like, all right, we got that easy done. Um, and we, we bought this land. We built, um, a very, very, very modest home. I would say I would even dare to call it a glorified shack. Um, <laughs> but, you know, just like something only like a 20 something with no plan for anything would do. And so my <laughs> That first trip I went to Central America was only supposed to be for three months, but I stayed for nine months. And then when I came back, um, back home to North Carolina, I sold all my things, like worked, uh, I was here for three months and like worked a job to like get a bunch of money so that I could go and live the rest of my life in Central America. And, and at the time I thought that that was actually going to be in Guatemala and not in Nicaragua and not in Costa Rica. And uh, so I bought this land with this this man that I was engaged to for a short moment in my past life. And girl, wow. I, still, I still own that forsaken piece of land. <laughs> I, say for, I say forsaken because it's like it's a it's a thing that I actually still um, deal with uh, now. And I haven't been there in over two years. And um, what's felt good about it earlier, we were talking about just like energetic reparations is, you know, in that context, I was kind of a colonizer. You know, I came there, built this, you know, built up this business, this cafe, and yeah, I'm, I'm Latin American, but like, I'm not Guatemalan. I'm, and, and, and it wasn't just in Guatemala, like this is an indigenous Mayan, Mayan ancestral land. And I bought, and we were able to get this land so cheap is like that family that originally owned it, sold it to that man because they needed the money for surgery for their daughter. And so they just, wow. for them, $5,000 was like, was, was a fortune. And so I was 
in the time that I've not been living there, I've been able to employ that family, that family who had previously been on that land for God knows how long. They're now stewarding, stewarding my tiny little property. Um, and they live there. Mm-hmm. And the, the the glorified shack is rented out occasionally during high season. Um, but it, you know, there's people are like, why don't you just sell that land? And it's like, because I, it would be so hard for me to find someone who would both buy it for what it's worth now and still honor this family and make sure that they at the very least are employed and, and ideally could still live on it. Um, and it yeah. to me, like really meeting the intersection of all of my identities is like, yeah, you know, in the context of the U S I have these oppressed identities, but in the context of central America, like who my people were, they were the people who made it so challenging for native people and for black people in that country, um, to own things and to have things. And so it, it feel, it, it feels sometimes stressful to know that I have this thing in another country that I can't even go to now. But when I think about the, the cycle of that land and it in a really not intentional and not direct way being given back to the people it was taken from, I, I feel, I feel good about that. And I feel okay with owning the fact that, hey, in the U.S. context, like my people are owed something. But <laughs> when I go back there, like I have something to give and I'm so grateful to be able to. Oh, I love it. Can I plan a trip there? Yeah. <laughs> post-COVID? Yes, post-COVID. Mama knows. Let's go. <laughs> Mama knows. Oh my gosh. Well, I know we're coming up on time and I know we just kind of, you know, flowed between your story and this is all cafecito and chisme and we flowed between these different aspects of you. So uh, thank you. You know, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for giving us this beautiful picture of Central America. And I think it's those narratives are needed. Right. And I, I personally love, <laughs> I love hearing about Central America. I'm like, yes. Centro America, stand up. Where y'all at? Where we at? Yes, we need that representation. And also, I think we just need pride in it. You know, I've met so many Central Americans, including some people in my family who aren't proud to be Central American. They aren't proud to be Honduran. And it makes me really sad. (laughs) It like makes me really sad because it again, it starts with us not not knowing all the beauty of our cultures because you know, for, for my example, my parents couldn't always be around because they were working all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, I'm very, I always say I'm very privileged to be able to spend so much of my adult life with them, you know, not working as much and then being able to tell me these stories and me with my curious mind too, Jasmine Fuego, we got that in common, but I'm always so curious and being able to learn these stories and capture these stories from both my, my mom and my dad. I'm like, and they're Honduran, man. They're catrachos, like 100%. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so beautiful. And like every time I hear their stories, I'm like even more proud to be Hondureña, to be a catracha. So thank you for creating that representation for Nicaragua, for Central Americans. I I love it. Thank you. <laughs> and so again, I know we're coming up on time, but I really quickly want to hear about what you're up to now. So this is our cafecito and cheese portion because you are a beautiful soul. And I hope you know that because if anyone go follow Jasmine, <laughs> because I'm inspired and I'm being real with you. I'm going to gas you up for a second. <laughs> seeing your seeing your content inspires me. So your morning meditations, the way that you just like own every single part of your identity, like those are the people I look up to because to show up in life as your full self, I'm like, that's, that's my, that's my goal right now. Like that might've, that might be my twenties is really, like you said, like learning about who I am to my core, but you just inspire me every single time. I love looking at all your stories. I'm always like, yes, I need to do my morning meditation. I need to dance. (laughs) So again, I'm inspired by you because again, you show up as your full self girl and we need more people, more Latinas, more Afro Latinas, more, more humans like that. So thank you. Thank you. Well, y'all, yes, please follow me on the things. Let's, let's connect for real, for real. I'm at Jasmine Fuego. Um, I work at a company called Skillshare and Skillshare is so amazing. It's an online learning platform, an online learning community for creative people. 
um, for people to teach classes um, in this very, very interesting and engaging format and to make money, um, to make residual income every month from their classes. Um, so w one of the things that I do is I seek out um, creators of color and and uh, creators uh, in quote unquote marginalized communities. And I help them amplify the work that they're doing by helping them create an online class for our platform. Um, so if you are a creative person, come find me, come talk to me. Let's, let's, let's make some great educational content for these digital streets. Um, passion projects. I, uh, in my past life was a musician. And so maybe I'll get back to that eventually. So you can check my music out on Spotify or whatever stream platform that you use. But, you know, this is so, I feel like this, this episode is so random because it's like, girl, you're everything, but literally, yes. Uh, so one of my passion projects, I wrote and created and starred in a children's television show about mindfulness and self-love. And I what? am actively trying to pitch it. I haven't released it out into the world yet because I'm still trying to pitch it, but I, I really uh, pray that 2021 will be the year that I can you know, get a deal with Netflix or a Hulu or an Amazon uh, or a prime video. So stay on the lookout for that, especially if you have kids. And even if you don't have kids, like if you liked the Fresh Prince or Mr. Rogers, or you would like both of those things to be <laughs> one thing, you're going to love this show. Um, so yeah, let's, let's connect. Find me on all the things. Instagram is Instagram and TikTok is where I'll be though. So at Jasmine Fuego, JS Miney, you know how to spell Fuego um, <laughs> on all, all the things I can't, I'm so grateful for this time with you today, Jasmine. I really, really love, loved this conversation. I hope that you all oh, got I do too. Yes. And so one last thing we do on the show, we're going to close with a little brindis with our cafecito. Yeah. <laughs> I know people are like, that's not brindis, but I always say in every single episode, just in case people don't listen to these consistently, but <laughs> I always say I'm redefining what brindis means. <laughs> yeah. Um, but let's do a little brindis. And what I like to do here is just close with the virtual cheers and also give you a chance to manifest some good for our community um, and manifest some good for Latinidad. So what do you want to cheers to and what do you want to manifest? I want to cheers to people who are doing the hard work of healing their own trauma, of healing their ancestral trauma. I want to cheers to the people who are working tirelessly in, in all the ways to uplift the voices of the voiceless. I want to cheers to the, the power of every single human being to come together and to create the world that we want to live in. I, I cheers, I bow, salute to all of you. And I want to manifest, I want to manifest that. That's what I want. I want to manifest more people doing that out in the open, boldly, without fear, just finding out the wholeness of who you are in all the ways and letting that shine through because that is what's going to, to heal this world. With the world that we want hasn't haven't hasn't ever been yet so to dig deep into your imagination and live that out loud every single day mm. cheers girl salud salud un abrazo y muchísimas gracias for tuning in to today's episode con jasmine fuego connect with her on ig and tiktok at jasmine fuego and find her on linkedin and stick around to hear from my dear friend and hello Latino partner, Chris Gates, co-founder of RiseOn. Mi gente, what's up? This is Chris Gates. I had the pleasure of being Odalis' guest in the Cuba Through My Eyes episode of this amazing podcast. Today, I want to invite you to a free month's membership to my startup, RiseOn. Founded by two first-gen Latinos, Rizon is like taking a Zumba class for your mental and emotional health. Our mission is to build humans from the inside out, and we help first-gen folks just like you to grow and to heal. So whether you're struggling with life's challenges or just thirsty for a community to help you grow, Rizon is for you. 
Every week, we create a space for mindful introspection in community. That's what you get when you mix mindfulness, journaling, coaching, and vulnerable conversations. It's a space to be seen authentically, to develop self-awareness and build inner skills alongside a group of inspiring peers. Our goal is to help you to tap into your own power consistently, to find perspective, clarity, and direction anytime you need it. Over the past two years, we've designed hundreds of experiences for our clients to do just this. These are entrepreneurs and young professionals who trace their roots to some 20 countries. Folks who, despite being brilliantly talented and looking like they got it all together from the outside, are working through some real life challenges. So join us. We'd like to invite every listener of this podcast to experience a Rise On membership for free for an entire month. That includes our weekly Rise On sessions, live and online, plus on-demand mindfulness content and daily community support. To activate your free month Rise On membership, visit www.riseon.life. That's R-I-S-O-N dot L-I-F-E. Riseon.life. Mi gente, let's rise on. <laughs>